0: Hi, you're listening to Ember Island Airwaves. I'm Soren Howe, and I'm here with Josh Rosenfield, and we're going to be discussing the finale of The Legend of Korra, Book Three, Change. So um, we had a lot of predictions last week, and uh, I'm excited to see how a lot of these panned out um, with this uh, with this finale, or at least to see you know what what your thoughts are on how we were. I would say let's say 95 to 97% incorrect uh, about what was going to happen. <laughs> um so uh but let's start at the beginning before we get into the you know uh how terrible we are at fortune telling here. Um so <clears throat> into the void starts with the planning process on how they're going to how uh Tanrock and Suyin and Lin and everyone is going to uh take back um take back the airbenders and and, and defeat Zaheer. And Korra is there as well, and Mako and Bolin, and they're all trying to, I don't know, coordinate an attack. Um, and this is the first instance. within uh, I think within five minutes, we get almost immediately a uh, a corny joke from Bolin that just, I don't know what it is about him. His humor is so... Hit or miss, you know, sometimes it's it's pretty funny. I actually thought he was quite funny in the first season, if I remember correctly. But uh, this episode, in these two episodes in particular, his humor is both misplaced, like, tonally why, uh, and also just not even that funny even on its own. Um, so here he does this whole, you know, weird, um, he gives this whole weird plan about bird calls or something, and everyone's like, Bowen. Bolin. And I'm like, the, the people are going to die. Why are we having this conversation right now? Yeah, um, that,
1: that's I, – I will say Bolin in general worked for me in these two episodes, but that is exactly – that's a perfect example of the fact that Boleyn isn't funny. And <laughs> importantly, more importantly, this is not the time for – you know, the joke, obviously, is that this is not the time to be goofing off. But this is not the time in the show for that joke to be made. You <laughs> should not be making jokes right now. Especially after
0: the writers. way the last episode ended.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, this is... Nobody wants to to laugh. Nobody's in the mood to laugh. They want to... You know, this is... If, if you're going to be a dramatic show, if you're going to be a drama, be a drama. You know?
0: Yeah, I'm no, just, or, or at least understand where your tone is and where you've left everyone. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've left everyone at... Uh, at uh, In a a very steep valley, you know? And uh, that's... To suddenly have this, you know, out-of-nowhere levity, it's just bizarre. Um, So, yeah, and it didn't... And so, like, if they had cut that out, and they had just uh, left the joke at the end with the sock or whatever, um, that would have been... I mean, it was still a weird moment that I have issues with. I didn't like that moment at all, either. We could get into that. But I actually... Well, you could take this out of context of the very serious what's going on uh moment, and it still wouldn't be funny, whereas I think that might have been funny in a different situation or at least a little bit more appropriate and it just would have been all right, but here this bird call thing just it was it was poorly thought out and wasn't funny like it just all of it was was stupid and and it's almost funny because it it has it's so weird and so out of place that it almost feels like a real person might actually do that you know, a real person might actually make something that's completely, like, inappropriate and ill-timed, uh, a joke like that. Uh, and some people do deal with stress and, you know, with humor and things like that, but I don't know.
1: But that's how Bolin just always is. He so just, just is, kind of yeah. Because, like, he's just intruding, this character is just intruding on the rest of the story exactly. in an inappropriate
0: way. Exactly. And, you know, they don't, not every character does that, so, like, why did he have to do it? And, you know, you get the impression it's because, again, Nick, you know, you've got to... You've got to have a funny joke in there, otherwise, what are we doing? Is this a drama? Um,
1: and it's not even an original joke. Maybe there was a, like a joke quota that they had to fill. So they <laughs> exactly. Just, they just put. Yeah, exactly. It's like the exact, exactly the kind of joke that you expect to go in a scene like that. If this was a more lighthearted
0: show, but it's not. But it's not. That's absolutely not. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So that didn't work for me, and and uh, uh, and and it just. I don't know. It just. There's something about. Something just off-putting about the way that they they framed these two episodes uh, with the previous episode, which was so crazy to watch, um, and it and and I think it's really it's a tonal thing, and and we see this periodically, and and like you said, um, or I think you were alluding to, uh, Bolin becomes really interesting in this episode. I think he has a lot of interesting stuff to do, and if the worry was that he wasn't going to be in it enough, and they had to add more lines, that's weird to me because he has huge. Role to play in, in both episodes, uh, so I was a little confused by that um, by that choice. Uh, so I guess uh, we can we can move on to the so they approach the they have this big plan right, and they have this big plan to approach the the Airbenders and Zaheer and, and the Red Lotus and how they're going to trade. I guess Korra at this point this makes finally makes the decision that I think uh, Aang would have made probably right off the bat. Uh, which is that she was going to, you know, give herself up to Zaheer um, and, uh, and 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 in exchange for the for the Airbenders, and we get this really cool scene where we see Tenzin, who is alive, much to everyone's surprise. Um, how did you feel about him being alive? Um,
1: this is funny. It's another one of our predictions that really didn't, uh, it really well, didn't. The, the first one that <laughs> didn't pan out. I was really surprised. Um, I really thought that he was. Just going to be gone, and the fact that he was just kind of weakened, it was. It, I'm not sure how I feel about it. It feels, uh, part of me feels like it's a little bit of a cop out, right? Because, like we said last week, that the shot that we leave him on definitely indicates that something terrible has happened and yeah, he's probably yeah. dead. Uh, so it does feel like kind of a cop out to just have him have been beat up, although to be fair, we don't really know the long term. We don't, but he seems all right at the end. He does. That's, he does seem better at certainly than Korra does at the end, so...
0: Exactly. He, if he, he had been... If he had still been in Direction, that could have been cool. That could have been an interesting relationship between Korra and, and Tenzin. And the other thing is, I thought, especially with the way the ending works, and I'm, I'm just thinking of this now, um, Jinora is, you know, makes a point throughout this, this season that she's a, you know, a very talented airbender, a good leader, and someone who to look look to and certainly deserves, you know, airbending master tattoos and, and all of that. And, uh, if Tenzin were gone and Jinora had to step up to the plate, that's a very thematically, you know, resonant with, um, the rest of, uh, or at least, uh, it's a good parallel to the rest of Avatar, the, you know, the original series where kids always had to step up because adults were doing the wrong thing, uh, or weren't available or weren't there or couldn't, couldn't help. And I think that that would have been an interesting way to do it—to have Jinora really take, you know, Jinora make that proclamation that the Airbenders are going to go and help the rest of the nations. So, may have Jinora make all of these big statements and really become the leader that you know we know she can be. Um, and so, it would have been an opportunity to give—to not only lose a character but to give strength to another one in that you know sort of transfer of power uh, and leadership. But I guess that's not what we got.
1: <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I still don't know how I, how I really feel about it. I guess it's okay because I like Tenzin. And I do.
0: I do. I, I think... I'm not trying to hate on Tenzin here. I do like yeah. him a lot. Yeah,
1: so yeah. I didn't want Tenzin to die. Because <laughs> I don't like Tenzin. I, you know, I was expecting Tenzin to die because I was expecting a downer ending. Right. But we got that. We got a pretty downer ending. So I'm, a, I'm pretty. I think I'm ultimately comfortable with Tenzin living because, and you know, the that episode still. Works because it's it's not like he walks away clean at
0: the very end. Oh yeah, no, uh, he's clearly
1: they, he's pretty battered uh, when they find him. So I, yeah, and I, he I, can't. I think I'm okay with this.
0: And he can't help. He can't do anything. You know, for the rest of the, he's actually pretty useless. Not even he doesn't even have any ideas yeah. uh, in that final fight. There's just no, he doesn't offer anything. He just sort of hangs off of Lynn uh, and Mako for most of it. Um, so uh, now we have. Uh, of course, you know, Zaheer has this... So we see Tenzin. He's alive. Zaheer uh, is making the trade for Korra. And of course, all of the airbenders behind Tenzin, and Tenzin's too weak to say anything, I guess, uh, are not airbenders at all. They're Ming-Hua making little puppets out of oh, airbending, which was very creepy.
1: Seriously, I'm going to miss that character. That's yeah. All the red... She was my favorite of All the Red Lotus, because every time she was on screen, it's just
0: it's terrifying it it is terrifying and i'm actually a little sad that she's gone uh because i'm sad that a lot of characters are gone and i think that that's something we can talk about but uh, i just i thought she was really interesting i was looking forward to getting some more backstory on her and and conceivably we could get more backstory on all of them moving forward if they you know keep linking it i mean they they say the creators have said that they're going to try and you know there's going to be a lot of interplay obviously between these two seasons so there will be a lot of you know, calling back to the other characters. But I presume it'll be mostly Zaheer because he's, like, the mouthpiece of the, you know, their little group and things like that. Um, but I still think it'd be cool to get some backstory on, on those characters and see where, you know, they came from. We got a little bit with Pali in that, uh, that one scene that sort of reminded us all that Zaheer and Poli were uh, an item uh, where uh, we we find out that Peli was in a prison, I think, and Zaheer had freed her a long time ago. I thought
1: that was referring to when they freed her at the beginning of the season.
0: Oh, I thought that was no, no, no. But then she says something like, you know, um, uh, I think she said something about how, uh, just like when you freed me when I was a kid or something like that, it seems like they've been friends for a long time or that they have some long history. That's not just being freed from the prison. I, I don't know, but it seemed to indicate that they had some sort of longer history and that there was a deeper connection there. And it, I, there are a lot of instances in this episode, these two episodes that I really like that humanize the uh, the Red Lotus, um, maybe not Ming-Hua, but, <laughs> um, but certainly Gazan, uh, because you know he's he's just desperate not to go back to prison, uh, and he seems like a kind of a nice guy. Um, ultimately, I mean he's he does like bad things, but he doesn't seem like a you know cartoonishly evil person. Um, and he ultimately, you know, does himself in in an effort not to be, you know, put into prison again. And that's that's an interesting sort of thread. And then Pali and and Zahir having a relationship that's obviously a very human thing to do. And so there's a there's a little bit of connection there. And I, I think they they did a good job not making us automatically hate everything that the Red Lotus was was doing or who they were.
1: That's true. And um, I thought it was interesting that there were more Red Lotus members, by the way. Um oh yeah. That was yeah. very strange to me. Uh I don't know. I, I don't really know if I really like that. I like the idea of the Red Lotus being this core group of four people and that there weren't these just
0: But we know they weren't because we had uh we had Iway Wei and there's probably lots more, you know, all over the place. Well but I mean like
1: in this particular operation or even just now that that time's passed, that these are the only people these are the only Red Lotus members working right now. And it seems weird that they if they had all these other people at at their beck and call, why they wouldn't have taken them when they were like attacking the Metal Clan or or stuff like that.
0: Well, it's sort of like I don't know why you know it, that's like asking why they uh, the you know Zuko and and Tanrak and everyone who went to go and deal with um, I think it was Puli at the prison in the in the north why they didn't bring other White Lotus members with them like it, they were there because they were guards but they didn't like come with an army of White Lotus, you know what I mean? They just sort of dealt with it on their own because there was no point. You sort of like pawns versus queen, king, and chess, you know, like how how useful is a pawn going to be if you only have like three extra? Um, and what it also does, by the way, is it does explain who was flying the ship in, uh, That's true, yeah. in the last episode. So, I mean, there's that, I don't know, it seems to me that they're trying to make them into, you know, the White Lotus parallel, you know, that seems to be the obvious answer there they're just trying to show that there's these two organizations that are sort of coming out of the woodwork and that there are a lot of them and it's not really clear who they are where they are where they're coming from but they they exist i didn't really have a problem with it um i would have it would have i what i would say is that i don't have a problem with them existing it would have been nice to see a little bit of that before so that it wasn't totally out of the blue but i bought it you know they're henchmen
1: no, oh, yeah, it's I, I get it, but I just I prefer the idea of the Red Lotus as this core group of four people as opposed to this more sprawling organization because I think it's I don't know it's just more interesting as a because if you think you know the Equalists that's all fine and good, but we think we don't think of the Equalists, we think of Amon. Um, I think the Red Lotus as a singular villain is more interesting if it's these particular four people and the way that they operate together, and not these four people who are just the higher ranking members of this larger group of, you know, henchmen who can, who have no ability
0: no, to... but presumably they would, really. but presumably they would have, um, they would have followers, you know, people who agreed with them, you know, and I don't know. To me, logically, it, it makes sense. I understand what you're saying, but I think that the it it, it it stands to follow. There were equalists who followed Amon. There were um, people who followed Unalak. There were people who followed. Um, although Unalak mostly didn't have a lot of followers, but there were certainly people I'm sure who who supported. You know, he had his 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 tribe. There were you know guards and things who who supported him, and there were people who supported uh, who supported the Red Lotus that we knew. Um, oh, so yeah, that's,
1: that makes sense. It just feels like they're there for cannon fodder and not... Oh,
0: in they, some they, ways, they, cer- certainly, and also, like, who are they going to put there? They can't put Ming-Hua, Orgazan, or, you know, like, who's going to guard the Airbenders? Um, sort of a logistical thing. But anyway, I think I think it was fine. I, you know, and um, uh, I think uh, you actually, you mentioned Amon. I think that this was an interesting moment because, uh, of course, Zahir grabs Korra and... Um, oh, well, before that, we have a little bit of a a tussle, a little bit of a tussle, um, as uh, Puli uh, gets into a fight with Lin and Suyin uh, after they scale the cliffs, um, and then uh, Zahir gets into a fight with uh, Tanrak and Korra, who is you know all bound up in chains. So,
1: yeah, another really cool fight. Korra uh, uh, having to bend with the, the handcuffs and the, and the ankle cuffs on, and just a, another cool concept they, they have, they've been doing that a lot and we talk, when we talk about how the, how the fights are cool mm-hmm. What I really what we really should be talking about is the way that these fights are the, the, the different little obstacles that they put in these people in the people's way or the different settings that we haven't usually seen it's just just stuff like that they're introducing new ways that fights can play out and that's how they're keeping them fresh consistently fresh and interesting yeah despite yeah. the fact that they have had one every single episode. This
0: season right and you know I would argue that that's not necessary um, because I think that there wasn't always something new in the original series but what was there occasionally they'd introduce new things blue fire lightning things like that um, but I think what was more interesting there is that and you know um, I you know this might play into my bias towards the original series but you know it's sort of like it's sort of like <laughs> to compare it back to Star Wars uh, it's sort of like the, you know, you would see very silly, or not silly, but, you know, not terribly impressive lightsaber fights in the original Star Wars films. That got a little bit more complicated as the show went on, uh, as, the, as the series went on. But um, in the prequel series, you'd see these incredibly elaborate fights in all these different new locations, and oh, look, now they can, you know, lightning from their hands, and they're, they're flipping over each other and doing all this crazy stuff. Uh, but the emotion wasn't there, you know, so there was, you know, you're like, okay, well, you know, this is pretty, but I don't care as much. So it's more of a, and it's not to say that the core is like that. Korra certainly has emotion behind a lot of these fights, but um, I don't think it's, I didn't care in the original series if they were going to do something new with the fight, but what I did care about was, and they did do interesting things, don't get me wrong, Um, but what was behind it was always, you know, Aang fighting for his life. He's 12, and these are, like, full-grown men attacking him. Or, you know, the fight, you know, obviously with Azula and Zuko and the emotion behind that. It was less about what was going on and what kind of fighting was going on and more about, the meaning behind the fight and i think that that could be enough to drive a series here
1: oh, well, that's all I mean, oh, i'm sorry go ahead. go ahead no no it's okay well i was gonna say that's fine and good i guess but i and I, I get what you're saying but on the other hand if the stakes are the stakes are the same every single time in all of these fights so you need to mix it up i think i think you need to introduce new elements to make these fights different from each other so that it's because if the stakes are the same the emotions behind them are the same and all every time they fight the red lotus every time they've done that the season, um,
0: you need to do something. You need to make it new. Oh no, no, so. definitely. That's what I'm saying. But that's why I, I like the original series in that they they knew that that uh, they didn't need to necessarily be changing up what was going on uh, all the time because they they had they could rely on what they had built story wise and, and things like that. And I think that's partially because there was more character development, there was more filler, there was more stuff that they could use to really flesh out these characters. And I think that here. Um, they're they're more in a corner on that front where they you know they're moving from fight to fight you know every episode there's a fight that's not the case in the original series uh, so um, so they do have to do things like change it up I'm not I'm it's merely an observation not a criticism per, per se but I just think it's interesting because um, they're sort of they have to do this to keep it fresh and interesting whereas before it wasn't necessary all the time because they had the inherent intrigue of ooh Azula's back she's crazy what's gonna happen now. Uh, Whereas here, if Zahira shows up, I'm not necessarily as curious about him as a character as I am about his abilities, you know what I mean? So it's it's an interesting dichotomy, I think. Uh, But, yeah, so this was a good fight. Um, So we get uh, Suyin and Lin teaming up. Um, By the way, talking about predictions, that we got completely (laughs) wrong. Um, (laughs) There are still, obviously, people who are holding on to the Suyin being a um, a Red Lotus... um, uh, allied with the Red Lotus.
1: Yeah, it's no, it's no, it's done. That's okay. not going to happen.
0: But, uh, <laughs> but obviously, that does not seem like to you know it's the case. Um, especially in this moment where she has the chance to that would have been dark, really dark, um, if Lin had gone out, you know, to fight Puli or distract Puli from uh, from Suyin, and then Suyin had just not helped her and then let her die that would have been really really dark but it would have confirmed um one of our predictions but i guess uh, i guess that was not to be and uh so then we get this incredibly devastating kill move where Suyin wraps metal around uh head and she blows herself up jeez
1: <laughs> yeah seriously Ser- um that might that was the tipping point like just when i think this this series isn't going to get any i hate to keep harping on the word you know it's so dark but mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a dark show i don't think no at least not tonally but you know she wraps her head in metal her head explodes that's what happens we don't see it but her head explodes mm-hmm. you know scanners style and i don't even think they have a sound effect do they i don't I think we hear a boom i don't uh, i think they cut Aftermath.
0: they cut to Zahir right away
1: yeah so there's no and that had i mean I, I don't know if you heard the creators of the show
0: kind of recently
1: scoffed at the idea that the network cared all at all about the content of the show, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. the Earth Queen getting killed. But I, I don't care what they say. There's no way that an executive didn't read that script and say, "You're not showing
0: that." <laughs> no, exactly. Happening. You are not showing that. I actually. mean, they said they can't even say that people died in the show. Yeah. Um. So they won't. They won't do it. Uh, or that she was killed, or you know, like the Earth Queen. So, um, so yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't totally buy that either. Um, The Korra
1: does say you killed my dad, which I guess is acceptable because we know that he's not dead. Yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) That's okay. They got away with it there. Exactly. And it's a good way to do it because then, you know, if it doesn't feel like they're always avoiding the word, if you always avoid a word, then it just seems, but you know, but, um, oh no, they don't say that in the first, I was going to say in the first season Katara says, all my friends are dead. No, she doesn't. She says, all my friends are gone, which was a good (laughs) answer. Or most of my friends are gone. Because, um, it was a good answer, because uh, a lot of them are. Toph's wandering around, Zuko's wandering around, you know, just doing things. It's not really clear what they're doing. Um, So they are gone, whereas people like Sokka are dead. And so it was an interesting... Because she says, my brother and my friends are gone. And it's just a very cryptic way to say something. Usually you don't lump in your friends who are just traveling with your friends who have passed away. Um, but, you know, whatever, we'll leave that aside. Uh, so yeah, we have this moment and then we have, um, you know, uh, Tanrak goes over the cliff. Um, I believe, yeah, he goes over the cliff and then, uh, uh, Zaheer takes, um, Korra. Uh, oh, by the way, this moment really irritated me. Zaheer's standing on the, the edge of the cliff and Korra has a perfect opportunity to knock him off the cliff or do something. I know he can you know, he's an airbender and it probably won't do a whole lot, but her goal is to knock him off the cliff. And what does she do? She picks the noisiest and most inconvenient bending style fire to then hit him in the back. And before it's even remotely come close to him, he's already reacted to it. Whereas, uh, you know, she can airbend and, uh, it's quiet, you know, at least a lot quieter than the fire, I would imagine. Uh, why wouldn't, why wouldn't she do that? And also, we've seen that Error seems to be the only thing that is of any use against Sahir, you know, according, you know, according to the fight with Tenzin. So, I don't know, that, that moment, I was like, her default is always fire, and that always weirds me out.
1: Well, again, I mean, alright, Th- this...
0: You can justify it because she's angry, no, well, I mean, or she's whatever, but I just, I'm like, if you want to sneak up on him, fire is not the choice I would go exactly, with. Exactly,
1: but like, you know, that's... It's easy. That's easy for us to say, but again, like, just if this is a in the heat of the moment, exactly. Like, you don't. Oh my god. I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh my god. What was I gonna say? Oh man. Okay. Yeah, I remember now. (laughs) Um, Exactly. In the heat of the moment, you don't know what's going through her head. You don't know what 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 her position is physically. What's going on? Exactly. It's instinct. It's like you said, her instinct is to use fire in that moment. Mm-hmm. And that's what she does. And it's, it, it is easy for us to say from our position on the couch, watching the show, <laughs> well, why didn't you just use air? But that might not have been the best And, by the way Zaheer is an airbender I don't think air, in her mind air would not have been the best option to use against him, because obviously she... right and
0: she doesn't she didn't see the fight with Tenzin and things like that I don't know it's just I don't know it just seems like the quieter and more sneaky approach than uh, fire is just so brazen and out there um I don't know it was just a moment where I was like why would you use fire I said that at the TV as it or as the, yeah as the TV as I was watching it so um yeah that was a weird weird moment for me but fine so she uses it it doesn't work and then she gets taken and and tied up in a very creepy dungeon uh type area which at first seems really creepy and green and strange but then uh starts to look a lot like um the was it the crystal caves from the yeah from the first series uh and we can get into the parallels there in a little bit because i think that's that's crazy but first i want to just address another prediction i got completely wrong Uh, which was that the Venom of the Red Lotus was uh, anything other than actual Venom. Uh, I had assumed it meant that the Red Lotus was going to somehow, you know, reveal that a bunch of people we knew in the show to be Red Lotus members or to perhaps, um, you know, convince Korra to join them, which I thought would have been really interesting, uh, or to do any number of things, really. Uh, But instead it was literally... uh, Venom. It was literally, uh, whatever this, it looked like Mercury to me, um, that, uh, that they used to trigger Korra into the Avatar state. So yeah, I guess I was, uh, totally off base on that one too. Um, although I oh. will, I, I will say this, the, the one thing about the Mercury that is kind of interesting is that when we finally see the after effect of what it does to her, you know, in, in terms of disabling her or, or whatever it's doing, um, there is apparently a, a a disease that's common, I think, in Japan. I could be wrong about that. That does lead to uh, all the things that we see happen to her, you know, where the you know, it weakens you, it makes you lose, you know, function over some of your limbs, it affects your heart, it affects a whole bunch of things, and it's mercury poisoning, uh, likely because, you know, on a, on a primi- primarily fish diet, you're going to get a lot of mercury on uh, a place like Japan or something like that. So I think it's, it might be a, a direct, you know, another Pan-Asian sort of... Uh, you know, reference point for them. Uh, but again, I, I just, I had assumed it would be metaphorical. I didn't think it was going to be literal poison.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. I, I thought that too. But we skipped over the fact that Zaheer can fly.
0: Oh, did that happen before that? Okay, yeah. Yeah, because he flies kind of away a, with Quara. That's a thing. That's a thing that happens. How did you feel about that? <laughs> you know, again, there, there's something else we were uh, not entirely sure about. But um, I, I think I was kind of hoping that it wouldn't literally be flying they do a lot of scenes in this series to indicate that flying would be useful um because you know there's the scene where um where Zaheer is trying to uh escape uh with Korra or something I oh, know he's, he's trying to grab Korra uh in, at the metal clan and then I think Suyin throws the metal through his glider and he falls to earth again, and um, there's a couple of situations like that where a glider would be really useful, um, and without it, you're pretty much useless, even though you're an airbender. You can only basically blow the ground to try and cushion your fall. Um, so they are—they do build it up throughout this season, sort of subtly, that flying would be a useful technique. But I, I don't know, I just kind of hope that wasn't a thing, because it's just kind of silly. I don't know. I don't really see the point of it. Yeah, well, this reminded me of...
1: Um... In the seventh Harry Potter book, there's a whole thing about how Voldemort. At the beginning, Voldemort. They see Voldemort flying when he's chasing them uh, on the way leaving Privet Drive, and it's a whole big thing, and people can't stop. Voldemort, did you see him? He can fly now. He can fly on his own. And I was, when you read that, it seems weird that they would be so excited about that because of like broomsticks. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you can't just fly. So the whole this is the same thing I felt with Zahir flying. It's like Airbenders have gliders. It's not really. That much more complicated than what Seer is doing, right? Right, is it right. Really, that weird that he's. I guess there's no. I mean, the animation there doesn't show him using air in any way. So I guess it is kind of you know different than what it, everyone else has already seen. But well, it seems, the implication
0: it's, is that he's weightless. You know, he literally doesn't weigh anything. It's not just that he's blowing himself into a. A thing, But, I, you know, what they do say, and they do justify this a little bit, is that, um, you know, when the airbenders are all looking on going, like, maybe we should do something, and everyone watching is going, yeah, maybe you should try and do something. Wow. Um, uh, Jinora, or I think someone says uh, that he's too fast, they're never going to catch him. And I think that might be the other advantage, where if you were on a glider, of course... Aang and Korra and plenty of people have been hit while they're on, and, and Zaheer have been hit while they're using their gliders. Um, but uh, but flying, I guess you're a little bit more agile, and so there's a there is an advantage there as well um, that they directly show the impact of where they can't really help um, in the way that they think they can until they use the big vortex tornado thing. Um, so I guess there's some justification there. I, I I was just sort of unmoved by it. It wasn't it wasn't uh, something that. I was hoping for something a little less literal than becoming air. I was like, you know, that could mean you're flying, but that seems silly. I don't know. It was a weird moment.
1: Yeah, it's I uh yeah, I don't it's just something I don't like about Well, and, and the whole idea of entering the void, I don't know what the void really has to do with levitating, and I know there was the whole, the first thing, the first Guru Lahima quote he used at the beginning of the season was about, you know, he
0: can become weightless. So this was set up, but... Well, you know, Guru, Guru Lahima was an airbender. Yeah, and he I lived, He lived, he lived 4, 4,000 4, years, years ago. ago. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I, they did, they set all this up, and, and it was, like, so, so, so complicated, and then at the end, we seem to get this weird, um, this weird thing where he says, I've you know, I've severed off all earthly connections, or whatever. Uh... And he can fly, and this is before. Is this, this is before pulley dies, right? Because she's he's able to float in the little shrine area before they end up having that big fight. Um, it might
1: have been. It might have been right. No, because he floats in the shrine after they've captured her. I think. You
0: no, know, like I,
1: they, I don't think he flies until I think when he flies away with Korra. That's the end of the fight. So I think Pali must have died before
0: that. Right, right, but I think this howl happens at the beginning because Enter the Void is the first, the first, um, or is it Into the Void? whatever it is, is the first um, episode. So I think, I think he's hovering. He's like sitting there and he's sort of hovering in, uh, in the, at first, and then we see him fly again later, and that's when Lin and Yin see him for the first time and go, did he just fly?
1: See, I f- I think he hovers at the beginning of the second episode, because he's talking with uh, Gazan and ming in that scene.
0: And oh, is it's Gazan. You... And meanwhile, it's not. Okay, so maybe because yeah, they it is. ask
1: him, like, "Well, since when did you learn to fly?" So I, I, I know what you're about to say, and I think it is after Puli dies that he's able to do that.
0: Oh, okay, so maybe that that explains it, because otherwise, I was going to say, why does he care about Puli? Because, um, I mean, the the implication is that he's doing that seventh chakra thing that Ang wasn't able to do, uh, and if he just still cares about Puli, then maybe that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because he wouldn't be able to.
1: She is the earthly tether. Yeah, and exactly. After he's gone, he's able to.
0: Yeah, so that that would make more sense. I guess I just have the events out of order in my head, but it is an interesting callback to the first series uh, in that way. And uh, but I, you know, I just I don't really see the advantage of being able to fly, um, in the greater context of the Avatar universe. I would certainly be... not against
1: airbenders. I think that's the main thing. It's yeah, like, maybe against like you know any earth or fire or waterbender. Yeah, it would probably make, make
0: him fight. extremely annoying to fight.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but of, but of all the. Uh, Four nations airbenders they're it's not going to be a huge advantage
0: yeah exactly exactly and and so i don't know it was interesting i would be fine if that was the last person who does it for another 4000 years uh we'll see there's also the idea that maybe janora will be able to do it now that she knows it's possible because she's sort of into figuring out new ways to use her airbending but i guess we'll see um so i guess we can move on to the parallels here because uh well why don't we do why don't we continue with the the toxin? The toxin was a big scene because uh, we finally finally get callbacks to the previous seasons uh, where we see um, several several faces from the past as she's sort of hallucinating as she's tied up. Yeah um, we get Amon for the first time uh, first mention in a very long time uh, we see Amon, one of I think Gazan or somebody turns into Amon, uh, very briefly and she's hallucinating and that was that was freaky then someone turns into Unalak, and i think there's a third one turns into someone else i don't remember who it was
1: yeah i don't oh
0: man who would it oh it was um it was uh, vatu oh vatu right right yeah. right so we've got we got these three famous characters from the from the past couple of seasons and that was kind of cool um i like the fact that they're not pretending amon didn't exist because it seems like that's what they've been doing <laughs> um Oh, and, and also an interesting side note. I'm interested to see what happens. I saw, and this is completely unconfirmed, so I do not want to start rumors, but I, I just want to mention that. I saw a picture um, where someone had, uh, had done the captions for this, you know, s- some sequences from a, a video, and they had asked one of the directors, "So is Amon dead?" We don't really know if he's you know the, the boat blew up, but like you know some people think he might still be alive. And the response was Ming hua and Gazan are dead. And I was like, uh, does that what does that mean? Oh, um
1: so that's, yeah, that's a that's a weird answer. It um, is a weird
0: answer, and I think that a lot of people would be super jazzed if Amon showed up again. Uh um, what's an
1: even weirder answer is that I didn't well, I think I think it's hard to get around the fact that Gazan is dead, but I didn't think uh I thought maybe Minghua would would make it out. Um, yeah,
0: no. I think the implication is, or I think that somebody answered this officially, so it is it is true. But somebody said that uh, you know, even if the lightning didn't kill her, the bringing down the caves, when Gazan did that thing. Was uh, if she was even alive at all, that was the end. So yeah, I think I think that that's been made clear. Um, and of course, we know Pulia is dead, and so really the only one left is Zaheer. Um But I think we're getting our, out of ourselves a little bit. So uh, in this. So we have this scene in the you know where Cora's all tied up and um, she thinks her father's dead. Uh, She doesn't know who's coming for her to save her, Um, and she just you know she seems really broken. And you know the way they draw her face seems almost um, abstract, and she seems very you know distraught and upset. And it's 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 hard to watch, especially Uh, that one shot uh, of her. Yeah, probably know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one where they sort of elongate her face and she looks her eyes look sunken yeah it's a really it's disturbing um and that's particular I think when she starts hallucinating I think that's the same that same moment and it's a it's a it's tough to watch it's tough to watch um that sort of thing it's always hard to see when Korra's you know stuck in one of these positions like you know in the first season with Amon you know being super creepy <laughs> as he <laughs> really was uh those scenes were always difficult to watch as well so I uh yeah, this was it was interesting. And then um she does go into the Avatar State, uh and uh, they're un- unable to contain her and then they launch into the final fight uh with Zaheer. And also Mako and Bolin come in and, you know, start their respective fights with uh Mingwa and Gazan. Um
1: Oh and, and uh, Bolin can lava bend. Yes. Yes, yeah. that
0: is that is a good scene. Um uh, I think did we get that earlier? Yeah. yeah, when
1: they're escaping the temple. When
0: they're escaping the temple, yeah. So he can lava bend. That was an interesting revelation and something I, I actually really like. Uh, it seems to. Uh, I like that it, it's a payoff for the metal bending that he can't metal bend, but he can lava bend, so that's pretty cool. Uh, and it seems like a pretty cool way to integrate the fact that he does have fire bending ancestry, so there's some implication that there might be ways for bending to blend a little bit. Um. So that's yeah, kind I of. Int- I didn't
1: even think of that part, but yeah, that's a good point. It's, it's
0: just interesting, and so it'd be interesting to know what Gazan's history was and things like that. So, um, and it, what it does also is it sort of blurs all of those ideas about you know back in the first series we saw Roku was managing the volcano, the, the volcano when um, I think sozen was was there, and, and how is Roku managing a volcano if it's lava and that's Earth and how can he do Earth and what's going on? So. Um, it sort of, you know, emphasizes the idea that Lava is this weird hybrid between the two. Um, so that's, that was cool. I like that, uh, I think that gives Bolin something cool to do. Um, and then they have the payoff of Kai on her, on his little Sky Bison, so now we know why they showed that random scene at the end. But I would have been fine with him just showing up at the, I don't know. It, yeah, it would have
1: accomplished the same thing, I think. I don't think we necessarily needed that scene at the end.
0: Yeah, but it, whatever. Whatever it was, we got to see this this cool little moment um, where where again, so Bowling can lava bend, and so when he goes back and he has to fight Gazan, and Gazan, uh, this is like you know, round three or four with the same guy. Um, he you know he reveals that he can lava bend, and Gazan. It's interesting. He almost seems like he's um, happy. That Bolin can lava bend because he's sort of tired of just beating everyone and it seems like a challenge. I don't know. His expression yeah, is. Yeah,
1: it, it, it's a payoff for their little. their bonding moment in the truck earlier. Yeah, yeah. And it's. A, I, I loved that moment because it really seems like. it, it turns their, their fight into something a lot more personal and they all of a sudden have this like bond and their fight becomes a lot more about. Um, less about just trying to destroy each other. And more about this connection they have, and trying to test each other's limits. Because yep. the, the implication is probably that Gazan did not know any other lava benders. Yeah. Um. And certainly Bolin didn't. Yeah. Until Gazan. So I, this is a, a such a cool, such a cool scene, and it's such a cool idea that to, I didn't see this coming at all. Bolin getting lava bending because I thought, I assumed lava bending would just be this kind of specialty villain thing that this one guy could do, and we wouldn't really see it again with any of the other characters. But having Bolin do it. Is re is a cool choice and it's a cool the whole addition of it is cool to the universe so I like that they're giving it to a main character so we'll be able to see more of it um, and uh, it has by the way just quick question has mako uh, done the lightning before I don't remember
0: yes yes he has and and I want to get into that because that yeah um, but uh, but just quickly on lava bending it's funny that you didn't I, I didn't see it coming I won't say that I you know saw it coming but I did I didn't think it was purely the domain of um, you know, this one villain, uh, to be able to bend lava because, uh, you know, we see other characters who can do things that the, you know, these guys can do. So obviously the... Well, yeah, I I mean more that, like, I didn't think we'd ever see another character who could do that. No, right, but In terms of the show. But we see, we see people do the same thing Ming-Hua does, perhaps not as advanced, but with her arms. They do the tentacle things. They've been doing that since the first, you know, series... Um, and, uh, you know, so I think that there's certainly some precedent there. And also, this is a, this is a side note, but I have noticed there was, before this season had started, and we didn't know who Ming-Hua was, I don't think, uh, someone had pointed out that in, <laughs> people have analyzed those shots of all the avatars, like a thousand times, and it's always a different group of people, because they always draw random characters that they don't think they're ever going to have to go back and address. And one of them was some a woman who seemed to have no arms. And people were like, w- that's so weird, the armless avatar. And so I think, and there's probably fanfic about it and uh, everything about this character. And then we get Mingwa, you know, in the next season all of a sudden who doesn't have any arms and has to bend that way. And so I think, I think there's some, that could have been just they left the arms off this character because they were, she's a background, you know, in this one shot thing. Or it could be that they've been considering what it would be like, you know, to have a character who, you know, has... Um, you know, is, is missing, missing arms, and so that was, I thought that was cool, uh, but, uh, and they, of course they had this precedent set with the tentacles, and, and things like that, that we've seen before, even, even Tanrak uses it, uh, in, in the scene, and so, um, in an earlier scene, so, so yeah, that was cool, and so anyway, so I like this fight, uh, and I also like that they didn't just, you know, finish it with one of them killing the other, uh, it was more self-destruction, and, uh, Mako and Bolin escape, um, as for the fight with, uh, with ming It almost seems like Mako's winning in the beginning. Um, And then she drops down into this cave filled with water. And by the way, his thought process...
1: Yeah, this is... I'm usually not with you on these kind of complaints, but I'm with you on this one. (laughs) This is a... I mean, the shot is right out of uh, Aliens too, by the way. Yeah. Um, But yeah, dropping into the cave full of water after you've just gotten
0: the upper hand by destroying her water... Yeah. He's not... Not oh, smart God. at all. Ugh. Standing, standing outside... That bothered me. Standing outside and shooting a lightning bolt into the water would make sense. But dropping down into it, and he's like, where is she? Oh, I'm standing in water. Maybe that's not a great idea. And then she just, like, does her weird spider thing behind him, and you're like, oh, this is but, bad. Yeah,
1: why didn't she just encase him in a thing of water? I don't know why she did the, the octopus deform thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I this don't know. Is, I,
1: this scene doesn't work on any
0: on any level. Really. It really doesn't. It's, it's cool imagery, but it doesn't really seem to make sense. And then he... He uh, finally, finally, for the first time, I think, since the first season, uses lightning. I'm like, you are fighting someone who is trying to kill you. And also, uh, you have a thing that's much faster than any other form of bending. I think lightning is the fastest form of bending, uh, because it's electricity. So why exactly would you not use it? Uh, So finally he uses it. He was was working in a factory in the first season, and he was using it. That's
1: right, yeah. And
0: he also uses it to get out of Amon's chi-blocking or something. I I don't know, there's a weird moment there in the final episode of that series, or that season. So he has used it, but then they just stopped using it, and I was like, why would you not use your most powerful form of bending to... And people have pointed out that he's a cop, and maybe he's trying to use non-lethal force, but I'm like, she is using very lethal force on you. I don't know, it seemed weird. My
1: argument would have been like, lightning being harder to conjure than fire, it might have just been smarter to use as much fire as possible mm-hmm. and not wait to gather up the strength to use lightning. Right. But you're right. He was doing it in the factory. You wouldn't. It must not be that hard. It can't be no, that hard.
0: No, and that was actually, it was a problem I had in the first season where they make electricity. You know, you just have lightning. People able to bend lightning just working in a factory. That's the whole, that's what they do. Uh, and then when he's, you know, he's unable to move, but somehow he's able to generate lightning. I'm like, that seems wrong to me um having said that let's leave season one aside why he's able to do it here is that some people have put it this forth and i think this is a cool idea that maybe uh maybe i keep saying zuko maybe mako's um uh inability or the fact that he didn't use lightning before was because his chi was off because of his relationship with korra and that he's finally getting over it and so his you know his chakras or whatever flowing and so that he's finally able to use electricity again and in some ways that actually works because a lot of the season he's been sort of getting over this whole you know these past relationship related things and he's becoming his own person again and he's less focused on all of those you know more earthly tethers in uh in that way so i could see that um being a good explanation and it's gonna what we're gonna have to go with because otherwise it makes no sense why he wouldn't have used it the 15 other times he's fought mingwa this season
1: Yes. Uh, I, well, f- when I first watched it, I forgot that he had ever done Lightning before, so I assumed that it was a similar to uh, Bolin's ability to Lava Ben, that this was the first time he'd done it because it was a stressful situation and all that. Oh, yeah. I had completely forgotten that he'd done it at all before, so that it worked for me, but yeah, having... It, maybe they, maybe the showrunners forgot that they'd had him do Because <laughs> that was a long break between seasons one and two. He didn't do it at all in season two, and now this happens
0: yeah i I really think it's a question of chi and things like that i i seem
1: shocked that he's able
0: to do it afterwards (laughs) oh Uh, god i didn't even mean to do that wow i mean literally (laughs) he seems surprised that he's (laughs) yeah he's done i know oh my oh no Uh, chakra more like chakra yeah no i think the i think he's i know i'm sorry i'm so sorry he um no I, i think i think if you if you chalk it up to the fact that he's been messed up since this whole thing with korra and asami and everything i know it's stupid but it is whether or not it was a good choice in the beginning for the showrunners to make it important to him is beside the point it is an important part of his life uh so i think that that might have thrown him off and that he was only recently able to you know get over it and you know bend lightning again I think we would have been nice to see him trying to bend lightning earlier and failing. That could have been a good way to, you know, like like Bolin being unable to bend metal. Like, it would have been a to, a lead-up to this final moment. But, like, for example, he could have uh, electrocuted Zaheer in that quick scene. He, like, shoots a, a fireball, which is fast because it's, you know, pro-bending style, but it's not lightning fast. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It was weird for me. Uh, but he did it. ming is dead, or at least was wounded, and then Gizan took down the whole cave. Um, And that was the end of two Red Lotus members, much to my chagrin, because I was really hoping these characters would be the villains for next season, Uh, but the creators have confirmed that they are doing villain per season, uh, so we will be seeing new characters, I guess, uh, moving forward.
1: Yeah, that's right, We we did kind of assume that the Red Lotus would that the story would continue into next season. Although I guess I, I almost now that I've seen it, I prefer that we get this conclusion because I think that I I would prefer to get a new story next season, but continuing the effects of this season, as we kind of see in the last season. Um, I, I just think that works better and it's something it's, it's exactly what they did for, um, this season or for last season and this season. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. It's funny that we assumed that, um, the Red Lotus were too powerful to be taken out in these episodes and not like the, and not, we didn't say that about Vatu or we didn't think of that about Vatu after season in season
0: two. Well, we figured with, you know, when there's, there's like limits, you know what I mean? When you're at like a nine, an eight or a nine, you know, in terms of power level, let's say, um, it's like, all right, you're too powerful because, uh, you know, that's one kind of character then there's you got characters like Vatu who are just obscenely powerful and there's no way they were going to beat them normally and so there's probably going to be some Deus Ex Machina if that makes sense so I think here it was more that they're more tangible we can we can really assess their powers like how can you assess Vatu's power or Unalak Vatu or whatever the weird dark avatar thing was going on how can you assess the power level of the character like that so for us it was like well of course he's going to lose because Korra's going to couple with some weird last minute way to beat him, and that's going to be the end of it. But here, we've seen them fight several times. Uh, we know what they're capable of, and so it sort of felt like this was going to be it. I also, you know, we know, and I think they've actually announced now that the um, the next season will be taking place mostly in the Fire Nation, so the idea of going after the, the Fire Lord, uh, Zuko's daughter, I mean, that to me seems like uh, an obvious connection to the Red Lotus, and why wouldn't they you know, keep these characters around. I don't know. It seems strange to me.
1: Yeah, well... Hmm. It seems well, like it, it would
0: follow. That's, you know,
1: I guess, but I, I think... Well, I mean, there's been a precedent of just the... Every season is a contained story.
0: So I, it does make sense, I think. Well, at this point, yeah, but the precedent seemed to be because of... You know, they didn't know when they were going to be renewed or not. But now that they have a chance to do at least one two-season arc, they could. And they didn't. But it's a, you know, it's a different series than the last one. I'm, you know, whatever. I'm curious to see who's next. I will say that I hope there are, is, this season we had uh, two female and two male villains, but really it was here was the villain. So we've had male villains for three seasons. I'd like to see a female villain, you know, uh, someone who's not just, you know, part of a group, but is, like, the ringleader kind of thing, uh, because we haven't gotten that since Azula, so I would like to see that, um. That to me that would be compelling uh, to just change it up a little bit, especially because we have a female lead and we're not getting any sort of correspondence on the other side. Uh, so that would be cool. Um, yeah, I'm. You know, we'll we'll see what happens. But anyway, back to the finale uh, of this this series uh, this season. We have um, a lot of parallels to two finales from Avatar: The Last Airbender. We have Crossroads of Destiny, clearly uh, with the Crystal Cave, seems to be almost the same location. Um, uh, where all of these fighting, all of this fighting goes down, and we also have, uh, you know, the fight between Zaheer and Korra, which seems to be exactly uh, taken from Sozin's Comet, uh, down to the yeah. point at the end where you know uh, Bolin Earthbend, I think it's Bolin or maybe it's Lin or somebody Earthbends Zaheer into the ground to like stop him, and the same thing happens at the end of, uh, at the end of Sozin's Comet, so. This was weird, but thematically it was different, uh, that these are two distinct finales, even though visually they have a lot of similar parallels, and I don't know what the impetus was behind that, because they're new assets, they had to redraw things. Uh, but if you look at side-by-side comparisons, they're clearly inspired by these two finales. Um, maybe to make us, to get that out of the way, so they can do a different finale for the final season? I don't know. But uh, but we don't have a similar ending to Crossroads of De- Destiny, where... Uh, Things end great for the bad guys and terribly for the good guys, and we don't get an, uh, an end of the episode. Um, we don't get a finale like Sothan's comet, where they take away the bending of the you know primary antagonist, or there's this big you know sort of conclusion. So yeah, I thought it was weird to draw these parallels because it didn't seem as it didn't seem similar to me enough to warrant the visual motif.
1: Um, yeah, well, I think I, just in terms of uh, references, I. I think it works, and yeah. So I the uh, Susan's Comet parallel struck me a lot more than the uh, Crossroads of Destiny parallel, personally, just because the I mean the location is identical, and the content of the fight is extremely similar. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. As far as references go, I mean, I honestly would have preferred them not to do any of it and just and like I said, do something, do something new. New, yeah. um, but I I liked I thought especially the Cora and um, Zahir fight was really, really, really good, and <laughs> so I was okay with it being a reference, even if it didn't necessarily fit thematically. I, I don't, I, I think that's okay, as long because the content of the fight itself was worthwhile enough to stand on its own, despite that.
0: Sure, sure. I just thought the I just thought it was a strange comparison, if that makes sense. Um, but uh, or a strange reference point. Uh, but uh, one thing I will point out in this fight that was really cool that I noticed, and then I saw a few other people had noticed as well. Korra, when she speaks in the Avatar state, doesn't speak with the voice of all the Avatars because they've been cut off, and that was just a cool little detail. Um, It just sounds like Korra, Uh, and in this fight, it's very clear that it's just Korra, Uh, and I thought that was really interesting to see um, them include this small little detail that reminds us that she's still cut off. And by the way, I had read an article well before this this season had started that said uh, that for most of season three we wouldn't see her connecting to her her past lives and season three is over and we still haven't so i'm wondering if we're ever going to see that
1: i don't think we are and i would prefer if we didn't um, (laughs) because i think i would what's the point we've already we've cut her off from her past lives and that's been i mean it's informed the series to an enormous degree and to have her get back in contact with them i oh my god it would I, i don't see what the what the benefit is, thematically for the show, for her to to get that back, when the whole point of the show is for her to try and figure stuff out
0: without that benefit. Yeah, I mean, it's the whole point of this particular series. But at the same time, you know, A, just narrative-wise, it would have been a way to include some more Avatar, The Last Airbender-related content, because they could have Aang, you know, appear and offer advice or do things. or, You know, one of the best things about the original series was... We were always seeing Aang talk to Sozin, all the time. Uh, or and then Kyoshi at one point he actually turns into Kyoshi. That was a crazy scene. So you know we get these cool moments from previous avatars who are crazy. I mean, uh, Kyoshi was nuts, and 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 Roku made some strange decisions. And like they, none of them are necessarily, you know, all good or all bad. They're all really interesting in how they you know solve problems. And more, it's just gives perspective on the current avatar and what they're doing versus what previous avatars have done you know there's a big split in uh i think it's in the promise uh the comic where ang's talking to roku and roku's like you know if you have to kill this i won't ruin who it is if you have to kill this person you should do it and ang's like you know what i'm not talking to you anymore you're kind of crazy which is a really cool moment because it's very different than ang who makes his entire existence about not killing people so um so that's cool and it sort of it fleshes out the main character of what you know what, what's going on there and it is interesting here seeing Korra survive without those those past lives I think perhaps not in power not power wise and and things like that maybe it might be cool to just see her be able to contact them via the spirit world or something even if it's not through the avatar state or whatever um, but I do think it would be nice to have a little bit of interplay with the previous avatars even if it's not Aang um just because that was a that was a huge part of the original show and uh it's a it's a little sad to just see you know Cara all on her own uh or i mean or give more time to people like zuko and let them really fill her in that way i think that was cool to have maybe have toph katara zuko all of them you know become her like sort of advisory council because there's no connection left you know that could also be cool
1: i well i think what just a big part of what distinguishes this show from the original is that lack of is that ability and the fact that she can't she, she can't use that connection to help her, and she just has to rely on the on herself and the people around her, mm-hmm. and talking to people who knew those knew those people like she does with Zuko. Um, and I, like I, as much as I like the callbacks to the original series, I would much prefer the show to just be do its own thing and and construct its own story that isn't so beholden to what the old series was and what it did, even if I liked the stuff from the old series. Right. I,
0: I guess it's more, it's more a question of um, it's not so much that I want callbacks. I would like to know what Aang was like as an adult. We know nothing about him. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. Where it's, not ne- it's new, old information. It's new information about characters who are old, but we don't know now. And since we're already getting at that through Zuko and through other people in terms of, you know, now we know what Zuko's like now, uh, and we're getting some more information about him as a person just by him interacting with the main cast... Um that's cool but I think it would be cool also to know like what Aang was like as an adult who we, and he was clearly very different. Uh so either we can get that through direct and you know direct contact certainly um and uh or we could get that through peripheral characters and I agree that that's a good way to do it but one or the other would be nice just so we can get some you know some feedback on these other uh these you know and you know there's like there's this one famous avatar who was I don't remember his name but he was he was a waterbender the last waterbending avatar And he was like a surfer, he was like laid back, he was kind of a jerk, you know. Uh, He was the one, I think, whose wife was taken by Ko. Um, But he was like, go with the flow. He was a water bending avatar in the sense that Korra is absolutely not. (laughs) Um, And uh, so like characters like that might be cool to interact with Korra just because they're so different um, ideologically. So I don't know. We'll see. Um, We'll see what they do. Uh, but I do agree that there's, there are other ways to do it. But one or the other would be nice. To, like I really like that moment with Zuko where he talks about what Aang would do, um, because we've—I think we have been missing that to some degree, even if it's not a direct connection.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> maybe. I—I I don't know. I—I I, I prefer the, what they're doing now. I mean, that's—that's that's fair. I mean, and and who knows what they're going to do as they move into the fourth season. Um, also, I do have a quick question. We had mentioned that Kuvira, this Zelda Williams character, uh, was making all these weird appearances in previous episodes, and um, now she's been named, and they like make a big moment with her in this up, ep- you know, in I think in Enter the Void or Into the Void or whatever it's called. Um,
1: well, they she saves Tonrock in Enter the Void, and and then in the end of uh, Venom of the Red Lotus, they do this whole thing where she says her name, and they are like zoom in on her face yeah it's it's, yeah it's it's weird I don't know why they're doing that
0: it is weird some people have hoped that there would be an earthbending villain because we've had fire for the first series and then we had um, water ish with Amon and Unalak and we've had air now with Zaheer and so it'd be cool to have an earthbending villain Uh, so I guess, I don't know why she would be a villain. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but either her or someone else. But, um, I don't know what they're doing with her and what the setup is there. It's very strange. She seems to just be a good person, but they keep playing weird music when she...
1: I doubt, I'm sure she's going to be important in the future, but I I don't see her becoming a villain. I don't either.
0: I absolutely don't, don't see it at all, but I just, I don't know what they're, I don't know. It seems very weird, um, to make her character so important, but not give any weird follow-up with it, and I'm sure we'll see that as we go forward. Or, whilst, why would they bother? Um, so, so we've got this, so there's this big fight, and the Janora does this tornado vortex thing with the other airbenders. They defeat Zaheer. Uh, Gazan, and Mingwa are dead. Peli is dead. Uh, and then we get this weird moment, as we talked about earlier, where Bolin, uh, where, first of all, Zaheer devolves into, like, ranting cartoonishly about his Plans for anarchy and things like that, and then uh, Bolin puts a sock in his mouth. And you know what? Here's the problem with that moment. The problem is, it reduces everything Zaheer had said, which actually had some merit, you could argue, um, or some sort of logic to it, to just silly, you know, ramblings of like somebody wanted to take over the world, which wasn't his goal. And then when Bolin puts a sock in his mouth, it's almost like him and everyone else saying, like, yes, finally he shuts up, you know, like everyone hates him, but it's not he was never that character he was never that character who just went on you know like crazy rants he was somebody who had like very methodical very well thought out ideas that you know we might not have agreed with but they were so like it just seemed incongruous
1: yeah I, I did not like the scene at all for exactly that reason it doesn't Zahir is not this rambling crazy person who yep. is you know he is certainly obsessed and certainly has very strict ideals but he is not the person who he was in that final scene he does not Scream and ramble and and rant about how, oh, oh the, the vengeance is coming and you'll you'll pay for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Avatar. And shaking his fist in the air. And yeah, and Bolin. Oh, that it actually like made me a little angry. <laughs> not, I don't like Zahir at all. I think he's, you know, not as... I like the character as a character, but as, you know, as a person, I, I think he's obviously evil and awful. But... I've, when Bolin puts the sock in his mouth and then makes this, you know, smug remark about it, I was like, Zahir deserves better than that."
0: He does. And everyone says something like "classic Bolin" or something, and I was like, "What? No. What? Yeah, what is the show?"
1: Classic Bolin. Is Bolin a popular character? I
0: don't know. I don't get it. He <laughs> I have must no be, idea.
1: because that's how they're treating him, especially in this scene.
0: Well, it's funny, because I think a lot of, like I said, a lot of complaints last season were that he was sidelined, you know, to the point of barely existing, <laughs> and then, you know... Uh, and but I then... didn't
1: like his plot, whatever plot he had he last is, season. He was
0: awful last season, so I, I don't really get it, and then, you know, because he, he felt like there were a lot of episodes where he was just in it, and but, like, just to stand in the background and didn't do anything, so I agree, he was... Just, set dressing until he becomes a mover star and yada 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 so i don't know um that was just weird uh and this this scene was weird um it didn't feel like it fit you know he's not only is he here uh, spiritual and yada 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 he's got all these ideas and he's very methodical and thought thoughtful and yes he's lost his girlfriend but that just made him more spiritual so much so that he could fly and do something that grew like guru you know what i should have said to you know someone should have said to zaheer at that moment would guru lehima be be ranting right now? I don't think so. Um, and that probably would have shut him up. But it's yeah, just that's
1: why. That's exactly why Zahir would have never. Exactly,
0: that. exactly, because he's trying to live this like very Zen life, this very monk-like life. And so I don't know. That was weird. Um, by the way, we did get a. I don't know if you heard this. We did get a final. Finally, get an explanation for why he was so good, quote unquote, at airbending. I don't really think he was. He was good. He wasn't like again. He wasn't a master at airbending. He was just very good at it. Um, but it's exactly what I had thought. He was a martial artist. Um, and this was from the creators. He was a martial artist before he ever got airbending. And so when he got airbending, he just, you know, was doing the same thing and air was coming out. So there, you know, perfect explanation. that works for me. And he was also practicing in his little cell. So that's, that's enough to justify why he was able to do what he was able to do. Yeah. Cause I mean, they do make it clear that he was a threat well before he ever got bending. And so, with all of that said, I think that makes sense uh, to me. Uh, and then we get this final scene. This is the big moment that we've been uh, that they've alluded to quite a bit throughout the this season, where Genora gets her uh, airbending. Well, first we see. Why don't we do Korra first? So we we sort of jump in time a little bit, and we get a phenomenal moment uh, where Korra is looking out a window, um, and she's in a wheelchair, uh, and. We get this moment with Asami and Korra, and uh, it's just a really great moment, something really emotionally resonant about it, I think.
1: Yes, it's a really sweet moment, and I love what they've done this season with Korra and Asami's friendship,
0: mm-hmm. and um, I
1: hope we get more of that, certainly, in the next season. And this is, yeah, it's such a sweet moment, just this, you know, this way Asami affirms her her loyalty, and the fact and that she cares about Korra, and that she'll that she'll do anything to help her like that's something that goes unsaid i think a lot in this show
0: it and, does because
1: cause you wouldn't because you i mean i'm not saying we need it uh obviously but i like that especially in this moment we have a character
0: who is explicitly says that she'll be there for her Well, Um, no, but I do think it's important, because before, you know, especially in season one, they had a lot of animosity between them, a lot of weird tension, and I think, and it was overt, you know, and they said things to each other quite a bit that were not so kind, and I think it's cool here to have Asami say that, because it feels like a direct parallel to her earlier, you know, it's a sort of a a closing of an arc, or at least a continuation of this arc between, of their friendship that's, you know, gotten more and more intimate, and more um, supportive, and mutually uh, positive than it was before
1: Yeah exactly and well I, this whole final scene is fantastic
0: It it's is a, it's a very good scene
1: And I'm, it's funny I may have immediately I may have overrated uh I I got I'm sorry I hate that word but I may have um overreacted in my excitement for the finale just based on how good this final scene was <laughs> because their finale has some problems I think overall it's good but this final scene is so
0: so good it's uh, it, this saved this this elevated it much more than i yeah I, if i had ended in that final scene was a here i would have been less than pleased um but this final moment was really great um you know i, I confess it got it kind of emotional for me uh especially as we go into um and and by the way cora just looks so dejected and, and upset and miserable uh and i do want to just address that in a minute but um, we get this final moment where, uh, you know, Jinora gets her, her airbending master tattoos, and we have this very clear homage, reference, visual, you know, parallel, whatever you want to call it, to Aang as she lifts her head up, um, and you see the tattoo, and for a split second, she looks exactly like Aang. Yeah, um, this,
1: that's, I thought the exact same thing.
0: And it's clearly a, a reference, and it was really cool to see that. Uh, I don't know if she's going to be bald for the foreseeable future, but... And she doesn't have to be. We saw Aang with hair. It looked fine. Um, but uh, certainly the visual parallel was really cool to see. Uh, and it was, you know, that got me. And then just the whole ceremony, you know, when the ch- wind chimes and everything was really moving. Um, but but I think what's really key about this scene is, again, it's all about Korra, right? And so we have Tenzin saying, you know, we're going to become peacekeepers. We're going to go into the community and you know, wherever there's strife or whatever, you know, we're gonna try and fix and resolve conflict um, while you heal and recover, or whatever she's, whatever he they're saying to, um, whatever he's saying to Cora, uh, and, you know, Korra in, is both happy, I'm sure, that, you know, she's not gonna be alone, uh, in, in trying to, you know, while she's trying to recover, the whole world's not gonna slip into chaos, hopefully, uh, but and of course it will, um, <laughs> but uh but she's also really upset and you know this whole series has been about questioning what the avatar what value the avatar is to the world and in this moment even Tenzin trying to be helpful is saying you know we can do your job for you uh and it's it's rough i think it's a rough a rough moment and we see that that last shot of of Korra looking absolutely distraught as she, you know she starts crying and then it cuts to the t- to the credits it's uh it's an intense scene i really this
1: i will be so so angry if the next season starts and um she's fine again and that's refers to both her the fact that she's suffering from depression pretty clearly and the fact that she's in a wheelchair i think uh, i think it's probably a safe bet to say that she will be dealing um with the former next season and that'll be a big part of it
0: mm-hmm. but
1: i will be even happier if she's in a wheelchair for most of next season yeah, that would be incredible.
0: I think that would be really interesting, and it would follow in line with what they've done for this entire franchise, where they've always had characters with um, some form of disability. Uh, you know, from Mingwah to Toph to you know um, to the, the the kid at the Air Temple who flies in his wheelchair type device, and it's always been a theme. And it's in it, you never see that in a kids show ever. It's just never a thing, unless it's an episode about that kid at school who you know. Is blind, And so they have, like, a, you know, a lesson to be learned in that one episode, you know, in Caillou or whatever it is, you know. But, uh, but this, this is unprecedented to have these characters who are not only, uh, disabled and present, but are hugely important to the, to the role. And I would also add, um, I'd also add, uh, Azula to the mix because she clearly was, has some sort of thing going on, um, uh, some sort of mental illness, it's not really clear, uh, and, uh, so I, and, and I think that while the characters are not sympathetic to her, cause she's like also evil, um, you know, they're always calling her crazy and everything, which is perhaps not the most PC way to refer to somebody like that. They do make her sympathetic. Um, and that's, I think very important. And so I think this will be really cool to see an avatar who is not, um, you know, able-bodied. And, and one of the most, uh, interesting things about that is that as we talked about all these characters come from privilege, uh, except for maybe Mako and Bolin. But at this point, they certainly are in the upper crust of society. Uh, but this puts her into an, a, dis- a disadvantaged group for the first time. Finally, Korra is now in a disadvantaged group and has to sympathize with people with disabilities. And that's that could be really interesting for her development, if they keep it uh, moving forward.
1: And, uh, yeah, and I think just in terms of representation, it'd be really cool to have a yeah. character the hero of the show who is in a wheelchair and has to reckon with that but also is still the hero and the same thing if you know i say i say suffering from depression because you know not just because she looks sad in the final scene but because this is a theme throughout the series that's been subtle up to this point especially in the moment in the first season finale when it's not it's implied that the way that people have looked at it is that because there's a scene where she's lost her, she thinks she's lost her ability to bend mm-hmm. and she's looking over the cliff and a tear falls off the cliff and people have, you know, we don't see it. We see this from her perspective, but people have noted that that shot wouldn't be possible unless she was, like, looking, bending down over the edge of the cliff mm-hmm. as if she's considering whether or not to throw herself off. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's absolutely true. I think that's exactly what's happening in that scene and it certainly fits with her mindset at the time and especially you know she's gone through the ringer in this episode and had people ch- screaming and chanting at her that the world doesn't need her anymore mm-hmm. um and, and trying to fight against that and in this final scene like you said the air nation in trying to console her and say don't worry we'll take on your responsibility is that that's maybe not what she needs here right now because that's what the villains were telling her is that the, she is in need now the air nations telling her basically the exact same thing that they'll be able to handle it without
0: her exactly and you know part of me actually feels like that might be the ultimate goal of the avatar to create a world that doesn't need them anymore you know that that can survive on its own and balance itself out without the use you know without the help of the avatar especially with the spirit world now connected to the mortal world um because there was a time when the avatar didn't exist and so mm-hmm. maybe that's the answer uh, but it's hard to hear if you are the Avatar. <laughs> I've
1: I've, uh, I've assumed since season two that that's the end game of this series. Really, is that by the end of the series, the Avatar cycle will be broken and Korra will be the last Avatar, and that'll be the reason that they're the reason that they're telling this story of Korra. Ultimately, is because that's the significance she has for this world. Is that. This is the avatar who realized that we didn't need the avatar anymore. Wow! And what'll be really—I'm still pretty confident that that's what's—that's the direction they're going in. But what's, what will be even more amazing is if she has to struggle with that, you know, on a very personal level, and not just on this very philosophical or spiritual level, as these villains have. Mm-hmm. You know, that this—the idea that you know—it's a very common. Anxiety of you know, it's you know, it's a it's a wonderful life, basically. You know, nobody around me needs me, and I'm just a burden. And having to deal with that, have Cora having to deal with that as a person, and based on her very you know, she's always been very cocky and, and individualistic, and all about how great she is. Um, and that's one of the things I really like about her, actually. Uh, but in season four, I really hope that she, it's all about her trying to deal with this idea that maybe she isn't the best and you know this fight with Zahira obviously took a lot out of her and oh man I, I will be so disappointed if um everything's fixed by the about, end. by the next season for me yeah. or very quickly in the next season and this, also
0: well this this ep- this last scene almost seemed like a first part of a next season yeah so that's, that's why I'm confident. hoping yeah yeah exactly
1: also, as someone pointed out, I will be disappointed if in the first episode of season four, someone says, oh, the new Earth Kingdom government is doing good.
0: because yeah. would, we-
1: <laughs> yeah. No. Be like, this is a, you know, violent, there were violent uprising, you know, the leader was killed by a revolutionary, there's looting and, and rioting, and the city is on fire, so the new Earth Kingdom government, no matter how far ahead they skip, is not going to be doing well.
0: It's not going to be doing well. Some people have... Uh, postulated that perhaps the Beifengs could slip in because they already run the Metal Clan and they could be an interesting royal family.
1: That's true. Well, I, yeah, I mean.
0: Although, I think Su I don't Yin. Know about royal,
1: I'm, I'm sure. Well, I, I would. I bet Su Yin, who was the one talking about how the Earth Kingdom, since the monarchy is antiquated and, you know, she yes. was sick of the Earth Kingdom for that. The Earth Queen for that reason. I think that's probably a setup for her. Uh, Going into bossing, saying maybe taking a leadership role, and certainly the metal. The metal maybe, but then
0: she would—that would make her a hypocrite, though.
1: Well, not. She wouldn't become the queen. She would set up a new government.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, possibly. I mean, it could—that could happen, and and that would explain why you know we misinterpreted that as Red Lotus speak. But that was a weird misdirection on a, their part, yeah. um, because it seemed very related to that I do want to just go back to Cora's depression or purported depression Uh, I think they should emphasize that more if it's a if it really is a thing to really clarify that she's struggling in that sense because what it does is I've harped on her a lot (laughs) throughout these uh past couple of podcasts and just since the beginning of this series her decision making is fully in line with somebody with um with depression. I have personal experience with, you know, with people with depression and things like that. And to me, uh, it puts her whole behavior and everything she's done in an entirely new light. Uh, you know, her making rash decisions that put everyone in danger, but often her, uh, specifically in danger. I think, I think that fits very well with somebody who's not entirely sure of their, um, their self-worth and their, you know, things like that. So I think, it gives a way way more interesting spin on her character that um and it works as like a hidden sort of you know a hidden disability so i think it's a it's a cool it's a cool uh you know added layer to the character that really um is more uh complex than i had given her credit for in the beginning or given the creators credit for so uh, of course if we had ended with the first season we wouldn't have that necessarily so i guess we'll see but i think that if they really play that up it could be a really compelling um, way to to have us sympathize with her. Certainly, it gives me a lot more sympathy for her character because it again puts everything she's done in, in a very different perspective.
1: Yes, I, I really hope they go that. <laughs>
0: um, so yeah, I think that 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 about sums it up. Uh, we I just want to throw out one other idea that uh, it would be great if Cora as a somebody who feels dejected and and cast aside and also now can't walk. Um, in the next series, uh, in the next season, uh, has to get a pep talk from Toph. I think that would be fantastic. So, uh, fingers crossed that we'll get a little bit of, um, a little bit of Toph Beifong uh, as we move forward. I'm sure we will, because why else bring her up? Uh, especially if this is the end of the Avatar franchise, um, uh, which I, I, doubt, but we'll see. Um, so yeah, so hopefully we'll get some Toph in there, uh, we'll get to see some of the Fire Lord, the Fire Nation, I'm very excited for for next season. Yes, so am I. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me, and uh, hopefully we'll get to talk again soon. All right. All right.